With much of the debate surrounding our current pandemic focusing on decision-making based on scientific models, the economic impacts, and legal questions, what is being left unexplored is perhaps what is most important, a robust moral conversation about what we owe each other during a pandemic. On this episode of Lawrence Talks, I am joined by my co-host, Michael Otteson, and moral philosopher and the chair of the KU Philosophy Department, Dale Dorsey. Together we explore some of the difficult questions that both policymakers and the general public should be asking and exploring in times of a pandemic, and in public health policy generally. The Lawrence Talks podcast is produced in part thanks to our partners at the Hall Center for the Humanities, IDRH, School of Liberal Arts and Sciences, and the KU Philosophy Department. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening, and enjoy. Welcome to this episode of Lawrence Talks. I am your host, David Tamez, and joining me again as my co-host is Michael Otteson. In keeping with the theme of our last few shows, uh, where we take a look at the many questions raised by the current pandemic, we will be having a much-needed conversation over the moral questions that are raised during this pandemic. But to help us bring out and explore these questions, uh, we are joined by our chair, the chair of the KU Philosophy Department, Dr. Dale Dorsey. Dr. Dorsey, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And to sort of get us started here, although it is a sort of controversial, it can be a controversial topic in philosophy about what makes up the moral domain, what, is, what sort of general understanding can we, can we come to and what are some of the, question, the questions that we consider moral questions? Yeah, I don't think you really need a big like philosophical meta theory or anything like that to understand what we're talking about. I mean, you know, when we're asking about the moral issues that surround, say, the pandemic or whatever, what we're really asking is, um, you know, what should we do, uh, broadly speaking? What sort of, what are the right policies to adopt? What are the better policies to adopt uh, as opposed to the worst ones? You know, should we uh, stay open or uh, stay closed or, um, you know, ultimately, what is it, what are the actions that we should take? when what we're concerned with is, uh, you know, people on the whole. So, you know, you can think about, say, just yourself and what's what action is best for you. That would be a different kind of question, though it may be relevant. Um, but what we're interested in when we're talking about the morality of the pandemic is just what, what, what are the sorts of things, what are the sorts of policies, what should we do? When we're not just interested in ourselves, but we're interested in you know the the welfare and the and the lives of everybody, uh, so that's that's sort of where I uh, start from, um, at least in thinking about these sorts of questions. How would you characterize the general public discussion so far? That has changed somewhat. I think I'm what I'm glad to see, but but I think it's still true that when people sit down to think about, uh, let's say, whether or not society should reopen. And by that, we mean stores should be open, restaurants should be open, um, 
people should be allowed to go outside and uh, travel and and do all this sort of thing or or whether it's sensible to encourage people to do so and so forth a lot of the conversations that were happening were sort of focused on what the let's say epidemiological facts were or what would happen if we did that to the virus you know would the virus continue to spread would it uh, plateau would we still would we still see cases going down um, and it seemed like what a lot of people wanted to do and I think this is sensible at least as far as it goes is to you know let science be our guide when it comes to whether we should reopen or not now uh, we should obviously gain all of the scientific information we possibly can um, you know more information is better than less at least much of the time. Um, but I think if you're, if what you're saying is that we can just answer this question by determining when the virus is starting to wane or when uh, we've, you know, we, we shouldn't reopen until it's clear that the virus has gone away. I think that's ignoring a bunch of questions that, that are of real moral concern. In fact, well, it's not, I mean, it's, not just ignoring them, but it's ignoring them in a pernicious way because it's taking a stance on them uh, that is not being argued for or even perhaps even realized. So, for instance, if you wanted to say, look, what we really ought to do is we should um, uh, shut, keep everything shut down until, um, let's say, the, the R, the reproductive rate or something is to 0.7 or 0.8 or something like that. So it's clear that it's going down and staying down. I mean, that's a, that's a sensible position to take, but what you need to then realize is that that's gonna be a long way off. And while we stay closed, uh, people are going to lose their livelihoods. Um, families are not gonna be able to send their children to school. People's educations are going to be delayed. Uh, and this is, these are going to have extraordinarily long-term effects effects on people's well-being and material circumstances well into the future, even after the virus is, is done. So I'm not really saying that I know what the right answer is, but I do think that the sort of glib, uh, oh, you know, what we need to do is just determine what the best advice of the health professionals are, uh, doesn't really answer the question, because the question is, should we be willing to trade off millions, you know, 30 to 40 million uh, people's livelihoods, in, just in the U.S., uh, let alone the global economic devastation, for the sake of preventing however many, let's say, 100,000 or so people from dying. Now, that's a, that's a really hard question to answer, but one of the things I think that uh, we're, we're not doing, it, which is sort of a shame, and I sort of under, I understand why, why we're not doing it, but we're not asking questions that seem sort of impolite. So, for instance, you know, you could imagine that delaying schooling, um, whether it's college or, you know, elementary school for kids or any of this. So if, let's say we shut down schools for a semester. That's going to cause lots of disruption in children's lives, lots of disruption in the career planning for college age people that's going to affect their well-being and it's going to affect their well-being for a long 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 time um and not just 
some, but millions of, of people are going to be affected in that way. So, you know, is it a sensible trade-off uh, to protect the lives of mostly older people at a cost of devastating the, say, material circumstances of many people that are much younger? That's a, that, that, that sounds like an, an awful question even to consider. It's extraordinarily impolite even to be asking it. And, and, and in some ways it seems even obscene to really be talking about a question like that. I mean, who, who, what sort of a psycho would even ask that? But the thing is, just because you're not asking it doesn't mean the question isn't there. And just because you're not explicitly asking it doesn't mean that what the position you've taken hasn't already taken a stance on it. You know, so if you're saying that, look, what we ought to do is we should protect the lives of people who might otherwise have been affected by coronavirus or COVID-19, even at the expense of the welfare and well-being of millions of young people, you know, you need to say that. That's something you need to come out and say. Um, you can't just pretend that that's, that's what your, um, that's, not, that's not an implication of your position. And one of the things that I think is, a, is sort of a drag uh, is that a lot of these questions have become sort of tainted by partisan politicizing. So um, if I were to go out in the public sphere and suggest, well, no, actually, it's, it's really important that we, we keep the economy running because that's the, the lives of millions and millions of people are at stake. Many of them uh, are very uh, low income and are living hand to mouth and Many of them were going to lose their homes. Homelessness is going to skyrocket uh, if we don't keep things open. If I go ahead and say that, it sort of sounds like because the you know the president has sort of aligned himself with a keep things open sort of mentality, you know people are going to sort of assume that I've got some sort of partisan lean. And the same thing with the other way. I mean, so if I if I go out and say no, what we really need to do is we need to um, batten down the hatches wait until this disease has run its course, then open things back up and the economy will, you know, take a little bit of time to rebound, but it's better than just that hundreds of thousands of people just sitting there dying or, or, or you know, suffering from a major illness. You know, if I come out and say that, then it sounds like, um, you know, what I really don't, what I want is something like the president to suffer or something because the economy is going to tank. Um, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, caricaturing these positions a little bit, but I, I think that there's a, there's a partisan element to some of these uh, questions and that in some way that the debate has been tainted in that way. But that doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean that these questions aren't there and that we uh, don't need to be asking them and don't need to be uh, taking a sensible stand on them and recognizing that anything that we do comes along with substantial harm uh, to be done on the other side. So let's say we, if we reopen and cases go up and hundreds of thousands of people may die. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's an outrageous thing to happen. It's, it's awful. If we close down, um, we might save a lot of people, but coming at the cost of the welfare and livelihoods of many millions of families, um, many of whom are, uh, don't have anywhere else to turn, who would be left homeless, who would be left uh, without any material income, whose you know meaning in their lives would would uh, would be severely interrupted? That's a horrible cost too. Wanted to add to that. Um, 
when the economy tanks, that that has a cost in lives as well. People die yeah. because of that. Yeah, yeah. Even even ignoring, uh, you know, sort of what they what they sometimes call economic deaths. Even if we ignore that sort of thing, uh, and it's a shame, I think, that um, when when we talk about economic uh, the economic devastation of the virus. Sometimes people have a tendency to think of, you know, sort of like Wall Street fat cats and so on, um, you know, them losing their investment nest egg or something. But I, I mean, not that I don't think those people are real people that we that are, don't merit concern, but, but what I'm really concerned about are the people that are sort of on the margins. I mean, the last time we had a major recession, it wasn't the billionaires that were suffering. It was um, the people that, are, that, are, that were working hand to mouth to begin with. And I think we're seeing the same thing now. Um, so, you know, I, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of sympathy for uh, governors and decision makers that have to balance these things. Um, but I think the public debate has not really uh, fully recognized the harm to be done in just defaulting, either defaulting to say, hey, we need to get the economy going, or just defaulting to, hey, we need to shut everything down until the, until the, the scientists say it's okay to come out again. We need to either own up, either we need to not take a stand, or we need to own up to the stand that we're taking. Um, and in owning up to the stand of the, that we're taking, we need to ask and answer these difficult questions. Otherwise, it just seems like we're winging it. Um, it would be, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's best for us to just wing it on these moral questions. We need to sort of ask them. And uh, maybe we sound impolite when we do it, but it, it turns out that they're essential to the decisions we're making anyway. In your response, you used uh, well-being and welfare mm. as, uh, as a way of thinking through these issues. Another, I think another way that this conversation has taken place is uh, referring to rights. Mm-hmm. And that even ignoring the sort of consequences that lockdown might have, it also vi- may violate personal autonomy or mm-hmm. our ability to decide for ourselves uh, or assess the dangers ourselves as as individuals, whether we should be out there or not. Yeah. So there's actually, I'm you know, I could direct uh, the listeners to a really nice piece by Christian Barry, B A R R Y, and Seth Lazar, L A Z A R. Uh, both of, both of them are philosophers from the Australian National University. They did a really nice uh, rundown of just these sorts of considerations. I mean, what what moral justification could there be for limiting people's autonomy to move around? You know, are you uh, do are we f- requiring people to stay in their homes out of uh, forced altruism or something? I mean, just to 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 make people look after others. Generally, we don't, we don't require people to, to be altruistic, even though we may think that it's important that they are altruistic in this way. Um, are there other kinds of justifications that there can be? So that's, that's a really nice piece. And I don't really have that much to add to that uh, side of it. Um, but I think, you know, for, for those of you concerned, uh, I think Christian and Seth's piece is really fantastic. Um, I guess what what I would, I mean, I think one helpful way, at least to look at it, is, um, and the way I have a tendency to look at these things is to think about what what are the 
the balances of goods and bads that are involved in each decision uh, we have to make here. And there, I think what we really need to do is we, we need to gather all the scientific information, all the economic information, all the information about unemployment, all the uh, information about uh, the suffering people are going through as a result of the shutdown, suffering people that are going through as a result of the virus spreading. We need to have all of that information. And we need to think about what is going to be the best choice taken all together. Um, and that I think is a, a, a conversation that we haven't really started to have yet. Um, but one that I think is, is, is crucial. Yeah, and I just wanted to, to, to add to that because epidemiology isn't, you know, about, it, it isn't about making value judgments. And if you yeah. don't believe me, believe Anthony Fauci, right? The world's leading epidemiologist yeah. where, where he gets before Congress and he says this explicitly. It's not his job to decide when we open or, or stay, you know, for how long we should stay closed. He, he as a scientist specializing in the spread of infectious disease, mm. uh, can tell you what kind of like potential cost or how, how opening or staying close down would affect the spread of the virus. But he's very clear it's not his job to make the value judgment about when reopening is justified. No, that's right. And I think he's been admirably open about that. I don't think everybody's been admirably open about that. I mean, I think, I think that um, I think that too many people are saying, look, the, the virus is still going to run rampant. So what we need to do is shut down. And maybe that's right. It could be correct, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't follow from that premise. There, need, there needs to be a lot more that's discussed. Um, uh, what's the damage going to be if we stay shut down? Who's going to be affected? What, uh, what damage is it going to do to those people? What, what's the cost going to be if we don't shut down? And so, and so on and so forth. And um, it's complicated and it's, you know, it asks questions that people are really uncomfortable asking. But as it turns out, we answer those questions anyway, but we just do it by default. And we just kind of, we just kind of toss out an answer, pretending that what we're not, what we're dealing with is not that question. Turns out we are, but it'd be better just to own up to it and actually try to answer it in a reasoned, sensible way than just than just winging it. Yeah, and I just wanted to. Uh, th there's been, uh, and again, I don't think this is true of everybody. And and but in the context of the protests surrounding the death of George Floyd, a lot of epidemiologists have come out and said things like, "Well, racism is a 400-year-old virus," uh, mm -hmm. and and or or giving some sort of support to protests on the grounds that resisting systemic racism is worth kind of the epidemiological cost uh -huh. of, of these protests, which might be true. Like that, that's, that's, a, that's a position that you can hold. It is not the job of an epidemiologist yeah. to tell, <laughs> qua there being an epidemiologist, yeah. to tell you which social causes are worth risking the spread of the disease and which are not. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to say that 
epidemiologists aren't entitled to their moral intuitions. No, though they of are. course, yeah, yeah, to um, be clear, it just but, not quite their epidemiology, yeah, that's epidemiological right. expertise. That's right, and, and you know, it would be nice, so <laughs> I think, uh, I think it was Nate Silver who said something like this, I mean, it would be nice if uh, those people who are criticizing, um, uh, criticizing people for being armchair epidemiologists criticize the epidemiologists for being yes. armchair moral philosophers. Precisely, uh, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think my general inclination is to think that um, it's very likely that these protests are going to do quite a bit of good and that, uh, you know, there are ways to mitigate the spread of the virus in, in protests and so on, and people ought to do that and so forth. But, but my intuition is sort of goes with the, the epidemiologists who say that kind of thing. But it's, that's a real moral question and uh, something that goes beyond what science qua science tells us. You know, it, that involves genuine moral reflection um, that, that we need to own up to and not wing. And not just, uh, you know, uh, do it in, an, in a kind of uh, haphazard way. And one of the, I think one of the issues that I've been concerned with is inaccuracy of the models that, that some of these decisions are, are based on. Mm -hmm. So I've been curious about uh, whether that sort of information, you mentioned that information is nice, it's great, mm -hmm. you have it, yeah. but is it quite, is it necessary? Necessary is a, is a funny word in philosophy, of course, uh, <laughs> but is it, is it something that, that we need uh, in order to make uh, these sort of moral decisions? Well, I guess I like to have more rather than less information. But, you know, I mean, there, there are certain sorts of perspectives that say, look, um, we can look, we can make, we can make educated guesses, let's say, about what the costs and benefits are on either side. But those educated guesses are enough to tell us or enough to, to engage our moral, moral intuitions enough to answer the question. So for instance, I was just thinking about this, you know, you might imagine the current, uh, you know, the decision whether to open up or not uh, as a kind of trolley problem case. Yeah. So, you know, everybody, everybody knows what a trolley problem is, if you've seen The Good Place or whatever, but, but just generally the idea is, you know, there's this trolley coming down a, a track. If you do nothing, it's gonna run over five people. If you pull a switch, it's uh, the trolley is going to switch to a different track and run over one person. Okay, and the question is whether you sh whether it's permissible or whether it's okay or whether you feel like it's morally justified to pull the switch or not. And there are lots of lots of problems and so on and so forth. Um, but most people think it's okay to pull the switch. But now, so you might think now this isn't uh, that kind of a case. So it's not like what we're doing is. Um, you know, it's not like there's this virus that's coming at us, but if we pull, pull, uh, push a button, it's gonna change, it's gonna like switch the virus from affecting these 10,000 people to this 1,000 people. You know, that, that seems like, you know, if we could make the virus affect fewer people, maybe we should, but it's not like that. The trolley problem is more like the following kind of case. So like imagine um, there's a trolley that's um, coming down the track and, it's, and if you do nothing, it's gonna run over five people but you can push a button. And if you push the button, the trolley comes to a screeching halt and uh, doesn't run over the five people. But the button also triggers a boulder on the top of a mountain that's gonna roll down the mountain and crush like 
five villages, you know, and, and wreck everybody's homes. Nobody will die, or maybe comparatively fewer will die. Um, there's going to be a lot of suffering uh, in the villages. We don't know whether that exactly matches up with um, the projections or whatever, or whatever or if the proportions of damage um, are exactly correct. But they're in the ballpark, you might think. Um, and if you have an intuition that it's not permissible to push the button to stop the trolley from running over the five people at the cost of, say, the lives and livelihoods of, let's say, three or 400 people or something, then you might think, be thinking twice about whether it's sensible to keep everything locked down, given the economic devastation and so forth. Of course, there are a lot of other questions that need, need to be asked too, especially on the, on the economic side. I mean, if we, a lot of the economic activity obviously is going to depend on are people willing to go out of their houses, um, given that there's this nasty virus out there. Um, and so uh, it could be that, that, that some amount of economic de devastation is uh, it, unchangeable given the given the given COVID-19, but some of it isn't. And so we would need, I think, a lot more uh, data on the economic side about um, what sort of economic consequences are there, are there specifically as a result of policies that encourage people to stay home um, or policies that would keep schools closed or policies that would keep restaurants closed or gyms or whatever on the other side. Yeah, curiously, I mean, it's it's because it, th that is an interesting question because some, a, a place like Sweden, right, was very kind of vocal in, you know, asserting that the world was overreacting to what was mm -hmm. going on and they had far less stringent rules about shutdown. And, and part of the question, I think the question when people are looking at the Swedish model is focused on whether or not, you know, the the amount of deaths or the rate of, you know, death from COVID, mm -hmm. it goes up relative to other countries. But also there's an eco interesting economic question too. Did the Swedes with their more lax measures actually save their economy? Yeah. Um, and because ac actually my understanding is the, the early results to that, that question might be no, that they actually yeah. didn't help I mean, their that, and, and, and in fact, that could, that could very well be. And that's another reason why I think the expertise of the epidemiologists is significant, but what we also need are the expertise of the yeah. economists and, yeah. and the expertise of employers and, and the expertise of sociologists and, and all that, social scientists measuring movement and so on, um, that would tell us a little bit about whether or not lockdown policies, uh, were they to change, could increase economic activity and save and save people's livelihoods. I mean, I don't know. That's that's another uh, question. My my bet, <laughs> uh, especially in the U.S., is that if you were to encourage people to go ahead and go out, they would go out, and people would be hired. At least at least now, um, I think perhaps early on there was a lot of economic devastation that was just unavoidable given the news about the virus. The question now is whether we keep things closed down or start to open them up slowly or more rapidly, given that people are sort of in the mood, as it were, to, um, to, to, to get out. Uh, and there may be good economic incentives to do that, but that needs to be balanced against the harms that would be caused by the virus were we to open up again.
And again, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm pushing an, a particular agenda or not. All I'm really pushing is for, for us not to pretend that there aren't serious trade-offs and for us not to pretend that we uh, don't need to ask these questions that seem on the face of it extremely uh, nasty questions to have to answer. Because we're gonna answer them one way or the other uh, and better to just own up to them and try to answer them in the best way we can and to engage our moral reflection and to, and to think about what the pluses and minuses are and to think about the worth of these things uh, in a public way. Well, it seems it, it's my intuition that one benefit of being uh, sort of um, open about these questions and, 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 how, and being serious about how we address them is that you can think about ways of say say we do have a shutdown a stay or stay at home order, stay at home orders what are the ways that we can mitigate mm -hmm. some of this some of these moral moral issues that are that it will cause yeah you can put in place place policies that uh, make uh, the damage caused i mean i think i think in both ways so so if you were to open up you could put in place policies that mitigate spread of the disease you can require people to wear masks for instance um, you could require, you can put in place, place policies that uh, make people to stay away from each other to a certain extent. And, and, and in, a, in a way, um, the way that, for instance, Kansas is going about their opening is a kind of model of this. I actually think the, the way Kansas has done it is extremely sensible. You know, they've, they've, they've tried to open it and to mitigate as much of the damage as they can, but um, the governor's orders are uh, relatively clear that people ought to be maintaining distance or at least maybe not orders the, the governor's recommendations i guess is what we should say are relatively clear about how people should be staying how far people should be staying away from each other we prefer outdoor rather than indoor activities and and, and so on so there are ways to be sensible about opening just as there may be ways to be sensible about closing or staying closed uh given given that the virus may still be out there um so yeah, I mean, once we have the costs and I mean, so I, what I take your point is, once we have the costs and benefits clearly in mind, we can start to think more clearly about how to mitigate them. And that seems, that seems right. So though I do have a question because in, in, in oftentimes in economic forecasts, it's very difficult to predict the future. So it's also a philosophical question, how to operate in the midst of uncertainty. Yes, because sometimes yeah. it's not possible to, I mean, we don't really know, you know, what the economy <laughs> is going to look like in 10 years or five yeah. years. It's very hard to know what the long-term economic consequences of the, of the shutdowns will be. And, you know, the, the epidemiological models, you know, they have shifted over time in part because, you know, the disease itself is, is novel. It's a novel coronavirus. It's not yeah. like, you know, a lot of other diseases that that virologists and epidemiologists have some familiarity with. Um, and so how, I mean, because that also might be something that we're going to have to do. We're going to have to, which is, I think, part of perhaps why there's a lot of confusion about what's going on, you know, or, or what we should do is because it, how, 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 how do you think we should make decisions absent, you know, um, really good, like descriptive predictive models? Well, we should be open about the uncertainty. Um, you know, it's not, there are lots and lots of really good models about how to make um, decisions under uncertainty. And I think the fact that there are, I don't know, 10 or something um, different 
models for the spread of the coronavirus. Um, that gives us at least some sort of meta basis by which to judge what the what the uncertainty range is, given certain sort of assumptions. And for the economic data, you know, it's true that it's a lot of it is uh, uncertain, but there are various projections there, and it seems to me that there are, and we can make decisions knowing full well that we have uncertainty on this score. But the thing, the thing you can't plug in, the thing that uh, you need to plug in to all of these decision-making procedures under uncertainty is what the costs and benefits are that we are uncertain of. Will it, are we uncertain about how many people that are living hand to mouth won't be able to feed their families? Are we uncertain about how many people who um, missed last month's rent payment will be on the street this month? or next year, or the year after? Are we uncertain about how many people are going to default on their mortgages and be forced out onto the street? Are we going to be uncertain about how many banks are going to be, uh, uh, are going to collapse given so many of their people can't pay the mortgages or, or whatever, you know, all of these, all of these various economic effects going into the future. And, and I'm sure that we're very uncertain about those things, but we're what we're uncertain about is something that matters. And how much does it matter? Uh, yeah. And that's what calls for reflection. That that's what calls for moral inquiry. And it can't just be done with us sitting in our own little houses, scratching our heads about it. It needs to be done in the public sphere because ultimately this is a public question. And once we separate it from the particular sort of partisan politics of the moment, it doesn't seem to me to be a, a, a crazy task for the country to sort of get together and say, look, how much are we willing to trade off? How much, how many homeless, how many decades of homelessness are we willing to trade off for the protection against the virus? And I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, it's a very difficult moral question, but it's, you know, I keep saying this, it's, it's not one that either way, we're not going to have to answer one way or the other. Um, so either we care about it or we don't, and either we're going to think about it or we're not. And it seems to me what we ought to do is we ought to think about it at least. Yeah, and, and, and to, to kind of, I think, motivate what you're saying here, I'm not saying that the coronavirus is just the flu. What I am saying is that there is a flu season every year. Mm -hmm. It kills a certain number of people, yeah. and we don't shut down the economy because of that. Mm -hmm. Because we've made an implicit decision as a society that the cost of shutting down the economy for the typical seasonal flu is not sacrificing that is not worth the amount of lives that we've saved. Now, in the case of coronavirus, in the case of or an avian flu that kills 60% of, of people that contract the illness, yeah. Um, yeah, it seems very clear that radical measures are very justified in that case. Mm. Coronavirus, obviously, it's, it's nothing close to the 60%. The, de the death rate is also, and the hospitalization rate is higher than a normal flu, but it is, in fact, in between. And as a matter of public policy and politics, we have to make value judgments about what, and again, it's not just the death rate or the hospitalization rate. There's all sorts of other, you know, maybe there's long-term consequences mm -hmm. for the survivors of coronavirus yeah. Yeah, um, or right. something like that. But, but it's a value judgment exactly when 
you think the tipping point is in terms of shutting things down or not shutting things down in, in the face of a disease. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that. All that is true. And again, you know, it, it even it, you know, when you say it's a value judgment, it it just sounds weird to say, look, oh God, we got to think about how many lives we're gonna permit, how many people we're gonna permit to die. Um, you know what I mean? But it, yeah. it's you know, it's it's a question that has to be asked and has to be answered in a reasoned way. Otherwise, we're just tossing darts at a wall. I mean, every time we increase the speed limit. This yes. is exactly what we're exactly. doing. How many people yes. are we going to permit to die on the roads yes. for the that's sake right. of people getting fat, getting there faster? That that that's just a question. That's just what we're doing, but you know, it's not a question that gets asked explicitly, or at least not in the public sphere. Um, there could be, you know, economists or whatever in the in back rooms calculating the numbers or whatever, but those aren't those aren't flashed in, in headlines, and that's what really needs to happen. I mean, the other thing I, I was thinking of when, when when you were talking was that. Uh, it's not just the question about whether to shut down or not that requires these moral reflections. I mean, that's a, an obvious thing that we're dealing with now, but it, it goes well beyond that. And, and you know, let, let's say in whatever, 12, six months or whatever it is, we finally have this vaccine. Are we going to make people take it? Right. You know, what if there are are major sets of people that refuse to take it? Is that, are we willing to sacrifice people's autonomy? uh, Or are we willing to say, look, you don't get to come to this restaurant unless unless you've taken the vaccine? Are we allowed to demonstrate that also? Like, you know, what kind of, because that's also a privacy concern is like. Yeah, yeah. And and privacy issues come in, in with it employment discrimination issues come yeah. up so are if you're an employer do you get to ask your potential employee whether they've had the coronavirus vaccine or not that's a that's a very serious question that we need to start to think about because it's a question we're going to have to answer once the once the vaccine comes around and it's not something that we can just answer by looking at the data um, we need to wonder about whether people's autonomy is worth protecting in comparison to the value of them having this kind of vaccine or the value of keeping them out of an office in a closed space they haven't that yes. that that's it's important to that extent it's even important when it comes to the flu i mean we have yes. a flu vaccine yes but we don't make people take it we just strongly right. recommend that they take it but you know if we could save thousands of lives a year by um requiring or let's say you know a place like KU says look no you got to have the flu shot class would we permit that or is that something we might want to encourage i think reflecting on the coronavirus and the policies we want to adopt as a result of the coronavirus tells you not just about the coronavirus but it tells you about other things that we're dealing with on a daily basis too and if we really want to uh if we're really willing which we may be to um take a very serious economic hit for the sake of protecting people from the coronavirus why why not the flu or yeah even, um, you know a much i don't even mean a serious economic hit, but you know just a, a minor uh, you, you know complete uh, overthrow of their autonomy to make them get a get a vaccine um yes i say that joshing a little bit because you know it is quite substantial uh, well yeah in the case of smallpox was striking about the eradication of smallpox is i don't think they did care much about people's autonomy right and that, that's <laughs> that's a controversy about yeah. you know how we eradicated smallpox uh, but but you can understand why, right? We got rid of smallpox. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
you know, to, to go to elementary school, you have to have a certain set of vaccinations. Yes. Why are you sending your vaccination record over? You know, do we want to put the coronavirus in with, in with that or, or not? And, and do we want to, are, are we willing to override people's privacy concerns by giving them like little ID badges or something like that if you've had, right. the, you've had the vaccine? These are all questions that are involved, maybe not are, Maybe they're not exclusively value judgments, but they very clearly ride on uh, substantive value judgments that that we need to face up to. Again, I, I, don't, I don't pretend to have the right answer, and I don't want to come across like I'm advocating for anything, you know, except being open <laughs> about what these, what the harm the policy you're advocating is doing, why you're willing to accept that harm, what the value judgments you are that you're making um, and to open that up to public scrutiny. You know, well, yeah, one, of the things framework. That I think, yeah. one of the things I think that the, uh, the Kansas governor, Governor Kelly did quite well uh, when she was originally announcing the sort of plan to reopen was made it quite clear that she was attempting to balance a number of different considerations in coming to this. Now she didn't exactly, tell us all the considerations and she didn't tell us how she was weighting them and all that, which I, you know, maybe I would have preferred, but at the very least she was owning up to the fact that there were balancing considerations that needed to be made. Um, and I thought that was, I thought she did a nice, at least a comparatively nice job, maybe not as, as good as I would have wanted, but she at least was trying to own up to the fact that these considerations were going on, <laughs> um, maybe if behind the scenes. So, um, what the best thing to do would be to have them going on in front of the scenes and having uh, public officials come out and, and to tell us what their value judgments are so that we can think about them and scrutinize them and have a public discussion of these sorts of uh, judgments in a, in a democratic way. That sort of requires a trust of, uh, on the part of politicians uh, on the people that we can have those conversations if- yeah. The thing is, though, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is just wildly Pollyannish, probably is wildly Pollyannish and uh, uh, way too optimistic. But I have a tendency to think that people accuse others of acting in bad faith, which is, you know, just what people accuse people of in our current partisan environment, when there's space to question their motivations. So if I were, say, you know, some politician you know, let's say I'm, I'm some Republican governor of uh, uh, some state and what I really want to do is reopen uh, and I want to do it fast. And if I come out and say, look, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to reopen. We need to get, get the economy moving. And that's all I say. Uh, that leads, that obviously leads people to um, question whether what I'm in it for is the, or the Wall Street fat cats or whatever. But if I, if I come out and say, look, what we need to do is reopen and we need to reopen fast. Look at how many people are going to be plunged into homelessness if we don't reopen. Look at how many people on the margin are going to be plunged into economic devastation if we don't reopen. And we're talking about, let's say, 3 million people in our state, however many it is. And we have to balance that against a potential uh, 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 people dying. at this point, I think my judgment is that um, though both are horrible, what we need to do is we need to protect those people who are on the margin or something like that. I mean, at the very least, I mean, people can question your 
judgments or you can question your moral intuitions, but they can't accuse you of acting in bad faith or without right. reason. And, you know, when you put, when you put it, when you make, when you make clear the trade-offs that you're attempting to balance between, then you invite people to do it, do better than you, which can be very challenging, you know, and, and you, you invite people to put their cards on the table. And I, you know, maybe the, this is maybe where the optimistic part comes in. I, I'm not sure that our cards are really all that different when it comes right down to it, when we start thinking about what the trade-offs really are or really ought to be. But again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being um, wildly optimistic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, um, saying more about the moral judgments you're making, uh, I, my suspicion is um, that that might actually uh, lend you a lot of goodwill. I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, I've, I've been wrong about our uh, <laughs> public political discourse before. <laughs> it's, my, it's my hope that at the very least that being open about these questions makes these conversations more tractable. It's hard to have a discussion when it's all about motivations and... Mm -hmm speculating about all these other interests that are taking place in uh in the politician's mind yeah but when they give us our their reasons even especially the moral ones that seems to be makes makes the discussion easier to have no i think so i think that's right and you know it, it might also lead to better policies i mean i, I think it would lead to better policies i mean if you're if if you think that there, if, if you're willing to own up to the fact that there are very serious costs on either side, maybe maybe what you come along to is, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to remain shut down, but we're going to but we're going to allow certain businesses to stretch the rules to do this or that and the other thing, so we can serve more people or, or whatever. Or what we're going to do is we're going to open up rapidly, but we're going to heavily invest in masks for everybody or something. Um, I mean, another thing that seems, I mean, I, I don't want to go so deeply into politics, but another thing that seems worth mentioning here, at least, uh, maybe this is a, is a wrap up to our conversation, is uh, we do seem to be in a kind of real moral dilemma uh, where there are very difficult moral questions, even obscene questions that we actually sort of have to ask ourselves. We have to do it in a public way, or at least that's what I'm advocating. But it's a bummer, and I think I think one of the ways that it's sensible to judge good governance on the basis of is whether governance requires us to ask extremely untractable moral questions. I mean, these questions didn't have to be so untractable uh, or so intractable, the moral questions we face. I mean, if it were the case, for instance, that we had a, had a more robust safe, social safety net for people on the margins, or had uh, if we had a larger social insurance network, or or we had more robust economic protections, then staying shut down uh, would have been less problematic. If it were the case that you know we had some kind of national health scheme or something like that, then it probably would have been the case that opening up would have been a lot less problematic. Um, a lot of people would have been able to get more health care more easily, would have been able to go in earlier and, you know, we'd be in a kind of cost sharing thing. I mean, I don't, I'm, that's, I'm speculating, but that seems plausible at least to say. So I think what we should ask ourselves as a nation and as a state, I suppose, and as a city, you know, what awful moral questions did our government foist upon us here? And, um, could these moral questions have been made easier 
by different policies being in place a long time ago. Uh, and I think that's I think that's another question that's that's really worth asking. Yeah, and we could also ask that in terms of of the CDC and 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 you know how well it's funded, how well you know what kind, how well it's doing, how many epidemiologists yeah. we have working on these problems, trying to find and isolate these diseases early on. Yeah, there's a number yeah. of different I think ways. Yeah, to- and you know I don't want to pretend that. I- I have all the political answers. It could be that, you know, nothing could have been done that would have made these right. easier. So I'm not a, I'm not an Oracle. Uh, but I do think that to the extent that this question was hard, the sorry, to the extent that the question that we face now seems truly awful, seems life and death. We're trading off the welfare and well-being, the material circumstances of millions against the, the very lives of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people you know, maybe it's, maybe we could have done a better job <laughs> of yeah. being in a position to avoid those, uh, those horrible choices that we need to make. But since we have to make them, m- my call uh, is for us to do so in, a, in as reasoned a way as we can. And that involves really asking the impolite and sort of obscene questions that, uh, that seem at stake. Well, Dr. Dorsey, I, I want to thank you for joining us today and, and exploring, uh, exploring and, 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 and uh, giving voice to some of the questions that... Thanks. Sorry, this conversation was pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you mentioned, I mean, that's... that's it's, it's not a lot of laughs out there. It's I, a darkness we live with every yeah. day, as you point out. We, there's always value judgments and trade-offs that we make. You either want to face the darkness or ignore it, I guess. That's right. The, well, I mean, that, as, as, at least as philosophers, that's what uh, we enjoy doing, I guess. <laughs> well, there's enjoyment and there's enjoyment, I guess. Um, yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And it was, really, it was a lot of fun. And with that, thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Lawrence Talks. Mm-hmm.